May the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be now and always pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, did you ever, when you're uh, raising your kids and reading to them at night, did you ever, like, actually yourself fall asleep while you were reading before the kids fell asleep? <laughs> it's kind of how I feel this morning, so if I fall asleep during my own sermon. <laughs> a lot going on. Had a great disco last night. We had a great scout Sunday at 9 a.m., ton of uh, Cub Scouts and Girl Scouts, and uh, just lots going on. Uh, do you remember the name Sexagesima or Sexagesima? For those old-timers, for that, for like myself, there's the three Sundays before Lent were called Septuagesima, Sexagesima, and then Quinquagesima. I don't know, you know, Episcopalians have these great words that, you know, it just bewilders people why we use them. But it always struck me that Lent is to get ready for Easter. Do we really need to get ready for Lent? I don't know. It's just a question. Uh, last Friday, last Friday was uh, the presentation of Christ in the temple. Remembering Jesus coming into the temple, it's sometimes called candle mass because the churches would often bless on that Sunday, bless beeswax candles and then sometimes distribute them to the prisoners. They'd have candles in their thing. More importantly, maybe it was Groundhog Day. You know, (laughs) so Puxatani saw his shadow, six more weeks of winter, sorry. We'll come back to that actually. This Thursday is the Winter Olympics, and it's that one opportunity for these small countries up in the frozen north that they might have a chance to win a medal. (laughs) And I'm sure you're probably getting home to watch the Super Bowl. One of my favorite cartoons I saw about it was a a drawing of an owl looking really happy and then joyful, the little crown, and the title was Superb Owl Sunday. I thought that was very clever. You know, uh, Jim over here is the, is the king of bringing in these great cartoon strips. So my favorite one is a, a drawing, just a one-frame cartoon. It's a drawing of a, of a rector or pastor study. So it's got the books and the desk and the pictures and the icons and all that. And the, the rector is kneeling in front of his chair. He's praying. He's kneeling on the ground praying. And uh, the church secretary comes in. And she sees the, the minister praying and she says, Oh good, you're not doing anything. <laughs> it kind of poses the question, what are we doing here? What is it we're doing? Is it accomplishing something? Is it what God wants? Is this pleasing to God? Ephesians, in, Paul, in Ephesians, Paul says, Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And in Colossians, he encourages his listeners to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And in Timothy, Paul is encouraging Timothy to pray for all kinds of people with all kinds of prayers, and then says, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. So, how do we please God? How, is this pleasing to God? How do we do this in a way that's pleasing to God? Let's turn, if you will, to the psalm in your bulletin. I thought we'd look at the psalm today. It begins in the verse verse uh, with a reference to being pleasing to God and then also in the last verse. So it kind of uh, brackets the psalm with these references to pleasing Him. So we just kind of work through it. 
Hallelujah. How good it is to sing praises to God. That is a good thing. It's a good thing to come and to worship God, to join our voices together, to allow the singing of these hymns to touch our emotions, to be touched in a visceral way, to, join, to have the joining together of harmony. And we have, as you know, the most outstanding music. I don't think there's a church in America of our size that has the kind of musical offering we have. It's Mr. Keith and Dr. Kelly and the choir and the bells and the strings and the soloists. It's fantastic and it's a good thing. And it's a thing we should give thanks for and enter into so that our singing is a part of worship and it's a good thing. Here's what William Temple says. William Temple was the Archbishop of Canterbury during the Second World War. And you've probably heard this before. Worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of His mind with His truth, the purifying of imagination by His beauty, the opening of the heart to His love, the surrender of will to His purpose. All this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. Isn't that a beautiful quote? And that's what we do here. It is a good thing. But I sometimes, going back to the Super Bowl, is, that, is our worship here on Sunday morning more like the game or more like the practice and preparation? I was thinking of if you had a ratio of all the time and energy spent on preparing for the game as compared to how much game there is. You know, you know in that four hours, they actually run around a very small amount of that time. But so what, is this the game? Or... When we leave here and go out those doors, is that the game? I don't know it's a great analogy, but it made me think about how does this, what we're doing here, relate to what we do when we go out the back door? We'll come back to that. Let's look at verse 2. The Lord rebuilds Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. We can often tell what somebody enjoys, what pleases them, by observing them. Right? We like to watch what people are doing so that we, if people we adore and are affectionate towards, so that we can please them. We can buy them gifts or do something nice for them. So we watch what they do. And we see God's concern here for the city of Jerusalem, which mean, can mean the city of peace. Might mean other things, according to scholars. But in one way, it's the city of peace. I think it's a symbol for uh, cities, that God's concerned for what goes on out there. Of course, the Greek word for city is polis, from which we get the word political. And so God calls us when we leave here not to be political in that sense, but to be involved with the city, to be engaged, to have a voice, to enter that arena and that marketplace, and to be the salt and light he calls us to be, to speak out when we need to, either in congratulation for a job well done, or to stand up to something that's not uh, going well, or doing the right thing. So faith in God is not restricted to our interior life, but it finds expression in how we live it out, what we do, where we spend our money, how we organize our calendar. I had a lovely uh, opportunity. One of the mothers at our school was invited to be uh, to sit on as a judge on the first Texas Court of Appeal, and she asked me to do the invocation, which was lovely. And I was very excited. I got down there. I was completely out of my depth. I was, <laughs> I was there really early. Just kind of, I didn't know who anybody was. Except Carol Porter was there. And uh, this woman came up to me. And I had my collar on. And she said, 
Do you know what book I'm reading now? She said, I'm reading the New Testament in Greek. I said, wow. She said, yeah, I wanted to read it in the original. I just really wanted to do that. She's obviously dedicated. And then she said, guess what book, guess what author I love? I've read all his books. No, let me correct that. I've studied all his books. I've had supper with him. N.T. Wright, Tom Wright, one of the prominent New Testament theologians. So I don't know who this woman is, and I was just so excited about the conversation. And uh, so she left, and then uh, things were about to get going. And then she takes her seat as the Chief Justice, Sherry Raddick. It's like, wow. The person sitting as a Chief Justice on this court is a dedicated Christian whose his faith is vibrant. And I'm, I'm hoping to take some of our kids down to meet her to say, how do you live out your faith in this kind of arena? Moving on. So, verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So God enjoys our worship. He's concerned for out there as well, in the city. And then he says he heals up the brokenhearted. He's not just concerned for the big structures and institutions, but for individual pains, frustrations, fears, anxieties. I think that phrase, brokenhearted, is such an evocative phrase. It says in Psalm 34, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The prophet Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And of course, as soon as Jesus was finished being tempted in the desert, he went to a synagogue and opened that passage of scripture and read it and said, it's fulfilled in me. Going on from there, he goes, uh, in verse 4, he counts the numbers of the stars and calls them all by name. So he just, it kind of does this sweep of all the activity that God is involved with. So he says he, he knows, numbers the stars and calls them by name. And so we too should have that sense of God's greatness. You know, in Canada, we have a, a, the Canadian prayer book. They have a number of pra- Eucharistic prayers. And the one they call, they call it the Star Wars prayer because it starts like this. And not starts, but it has this phrase. At your command, O Lord, all things came to be. The vast expanse of interstellar space, galaxies, suns, the planets in their courses, and this fragile earth. Our island home, by your will they were created and have their being. So God's concern and activity goes from the smallest brokenheartedness of one person to the vast expanse of space and everything in between. In verse 5, just a reaffirmation. Great is the Lord and mighty in power. There's no limit to his wisdom. And if you go back over to the Isaiah reading, it's a repetition of what the prophet had said. In verses 26 to 27. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, who brings out their hosts and numbers them, calling them all by name because he is great in strength, mighty in power, and not one is missing. The Lord, then it goes back to the individual. The Lord lifts up the lowly. He cares for the lowly, but he's also concerned about people who would oppress them, but casts the wicked to the ground. Do you know what tomorrow is in the church calendar? It's the Martyrs of Japan. It was kind of uh, popularized by Martin Scorsese's film recently called Silence, which was based on a novel from the 1960s by a person named Endo, a Japanese writer, talking about the 26 Japanese who were put to death in the 17th century a long time ago. 
But the, the, uh, Japan had opened themselves at one time to European trade, and then they thought, they thought better of it, and they started to suppress everything that was European and felt that the Christianity was part of that. But the people would not step down. Despite great torture and persecution, they stayed true to their faith. And so missionaries went back to try to help them. But 26 uh, were martyred. And tomorrow we celebrate that. And we remember that if we imitate God, that we may also face challenge and conflict and confrontation. Verse 7. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make music to our God. So this kind of sweep in the psalm of what God is concerned with and what pleases him. Verses 8, 9, and 10 talks about not the vast expanse of the heavens, but the earth and the grass and the birds and the animals. He's concerned for those too and reveals his pleasure in his creation. I think we can please God by what he says to sing to him in worship. We can please God, I think, by noticing what he does and giving thanks and appreciating it. And I think we can please God by trying to imitate him, that he be our our model for caring for people, for being involved in our city, for being involved with the environment around us. There's a group called Arosha that tries, it's called Creation Care. It was started by a priest in the Church of England who was a keen bird watcher. And he felt he wanted to become a missionary. And people convinced him, be a missionary to the earth. Be a missionary to the birds and the animals and the fish and the sea and help us to take care of it. And then verse 11 and 12, he's not impressed by the might of a horse and has no pleasure in the strength of a man. So it tells us what he doesn't have pleasure in. Does he have pleasure in your strength and skills and personality? Yes, he does if it's submitted to him. Yes, he does if we seek to align ourselves with his mission and call upon his help and allow him to uh, facilitate it and to augment it, but not to try to arrogantly Do it on our own, to think under my own strength, I can do this under my own skill. Just going back to, finishing up, going back to Groundhog Day for a minute. Have you seen the movie Groundhog Day? It's a great movie. So every day wakes up, becomes the same day. So Phil is a weatherman who's got a sign for the fourth year in a row to Tiny Puxatani to witness the groundhog, which he calls a rat. So uh, he's just, he's arrogant, he's brash, he just, he's an unlikable kind of person. And every day he's stuck in Puxatani. But along the way, he falls in love with this other woman, this woman who's also a weather person. And every day he gets up, he uses the day to try to find out something more about her. What does she like? What does she not like? Where does she come from? And in the end, he pulls that together and he woos her and courts her and she falls for him. And so the movie ends with them together. And along the way, he becomes a nice person. And he helps others because he knows exactly what's going to happen on the day. He prevents accidents. He helps people. It's a lovely phrase. What an example for us. Day by day to be with God. Day by day to seek to please him. To know him better. To find out what can please him. To do what he tells us. To say thanks for all he does. To have our eyes open to it. And to model ourselves and ask for his help to be about his mission. Let me just end with a a blessing from the letter of Hebrews. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us 
that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.